Hello everyone, welcome to the Memorial Heights Baptist Church podcast. Here you'll find archived all of our previous messages dating back to late 2020. Our hope is that today's message would be encouraging to your walk with Christ. We also want to thank you for spending time listening today and encourage you to share these messages with a friend so they too might hear the Word of God. But for now, grab your Bible, open your ears, and let's get to it. Turn with me this morning to Psalm 42 as we continue to look at this song of struggle in for what is for many of us a season of struggle. We celebrate at Christmas, but we also have to remember that for many this is a very difficult, for some the most difficult season of the year because of the pain, because of the memories, because of the loss, because of the unfulfilled expectations. And as we go to Psalm 42 and 43 this morning, we consider this question and the answer, which is vital, is God just is God a God of justice we look around and we see those we would consider to be good people suffering for many of us we we look at ourselves we consider us ourselves to be good people suffering suffering the loss of health the loss of finances the loss of a loved one the loss of dreams and hopes And for many, we struggle. Is God just? We see others being blessed in ways that we think we deserve to be blessed. We see the unrighteous prosper more than ever before in our nation's history. How do we know that God is just? This is one of the most asked questions of Christians One of the most common accusations made against Christians is that if God is good, why does X, Y, Z? Why does he allow bad things to happen to good people? Why does he allow tragedies? And the truth of the matter is Christmas is a powerful answer to that question, the God of justice. God created the world innocent. Genesis chapter one and two, God created a world that was very tov, very beautiful, very intrinsically good. And he rested on the seventh day after speaking light into existence and after speaking life into the waters and into the fields and after breathing life into First Adam and then Eve. But there is a Genesis chapter three as well. And in Genesis chapter three. The devil. Came slithering into the garden. 
bringing lies and deception. Did God really say? And because Eve was deceived and Adam was just rebellious, not only did sin enter the world, not only was the world cursed because of sin, thorns, death, sickness, pain, but also access to our world was freely granted to the evil one, the devil. And so we have an enemy. But it was to that enemy in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that God made a promise that he would send a deliverer, a savior, the seed of the woman. How will you know that he's the savior? He won't be born of the seed of a man like all of us were. He will be virgin born, born of the seed of a woman. The Bible tells us over the centuries where he would be born, how he would die, when he would present himself to his people, but be rejected and cut off, but not for himself, and that he would live again. Christmas shows us the justice of God. One of the earliest songs in the Bible, Christmas, a time of great Christmas hymns, great Christmas songs. One of the first songs in the Bible, not a Christmas song, but Deuteronomy chapter 32, records for us the song of Moses. And in verses 1 through 4 of Deuteronomy chapter 32, Moses sings this, Give ear, O ye heavens, and I will speak, and hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. My doctrine shall drop as the rain, my speech shall distill as the dew, as the small rain upon the tender herb, and as the showers upon the grass, because I will publish the name of Yahweh, the name of the Lord. I will ascribe greatness unto our Elohim, unto our God. He is the rock. His work is perfect. All his ways are judgment, a God of truth, and without iniquity, just and right is he. And the Holy Spirit inspired that song on the lips of Moses. And then the Holy Spirit, many years later, would enter the womb of the Virgin Mary and conceive the God-man, Jesus Christ. The Word who was with God and was God in the beginning. The Word became flesh. And he entered into the world and was laid in a manger as the precious Lamb of God who would go on to live the sinless life that you and I cannot live. And endure rejection more than any rejection we've experienced. And endure the, not just the pain of the cross, but the shame of the cross and the shame of bearing the weight of our sins. And then even more than that would absorb for us the very wrath of God to pay for the sins of all mankind. As John says in 1 John 2, 2, not for our sins only, but for the sins of all mankind. Because you see, God's justice needed to be not only demonstrated, but satisfied. God is a God of justice. God has paid the sin debt for us. And he is 
given us His own Son to pay that sin debt. It's why Paul could later say in Romans chapter 3, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God being declared righteous in the court of heaven. Righteousness means we are declared right. We are declared that our sin has been paid for in the court of heaven. We are declared righteous by God, by faith, the faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned. We have not all committed the same sins. But we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. But verse 24 says, even though we have all sinned, even though we have all fallen short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation, a payment, a substitutionary payment through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness, His rightness in the court of God, that He might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. That's why the writer of Hebrews could say in Hebrews 4.16, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For many of us, this is a time of need, a season of suffering, and we are Suffering together in the Psalms this Christmas season, Sunday morning, Sunday nights, in the Psalms this season. Jesus Christ coming to earth to die for our sins and to rise victorious from the dead and to offer us complete amnesty, eternal life, complete forgiveness, His righteousness credited to our accounts is the ultimate demonstration that God is a God of justice. Now, last week we were together in Psalm 42, this psalm of the sons of Korah. Uh, some Bible scholars believe it was written by David for the sons of Korah. Uh, I tend to agree with those who believe this is written by the sons of Korah, both Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. Uh, the two psalms go together. In fact, in some Hebrew manuscripts, they are put together as one psalm. Really, they're the same song as we saw last week. We'll see again even more clearly this week. But Psalm 42 has verses 1 and 2 in the chorus, and Psalm 43 has verse 3. It's the extended cut. That's the album cut of the track, uh, Psalm 43. We're going to look at both of those uh, this morning. But as we said last week, Psalm 42 and 43, a maskil, which probably means it's a meditation. It's something that God wants us to sing and meditate on the message of this song coming from a place of desperation. Psalm 42, verse 1, as the heart or as the deer panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God, when shall I come and appear before God? Now, when I first read this when I was a kid, I, I saw the, you know, the, the coffee mug and the T-shirt with the picture of the deer by the water brook as the deer panteth for the water. 
And I heard the song as the deer panteth for the water. And I thought, man, this is just a, a heart's cry. This is somebody who so loves God. They want to be in his presence. But uh, I didn't see or know or recognize that this was not just coming from a place of worship. This was a cry coming from a place of pain. This was somebody who wanted God's attention because life was not going his way. And because his enemies were mounting around him and making accusations and tearing down his reputation. And he was discouraged and defeated. And he's saying, God, where are you? I'm desperate for you to show up in my life. I'm desperate for your help. I'm desperate for an audience with the living God. And so the dilemma is presented to us. Verse 3, my tears have been my meat. I can't even eat. I'm so upset. Day and night, the only thing I can eat are the tears running down my face while they continually say to me, where is thy God? The very people persecuting me are saying, hey, where's your God? Your God's not here helping you. Where is he at? God isn't showing up for you. So not only was his heart being attacked, but his faith was being challenged. And when I remember these things, verse 4, I pour out my soul in me, for I had gone with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God, the voice of joy and praise with a multitude that kept holy day. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. We see in verse 5, repeated in verse 11, repeated again in chapter 43, Psalm 43, verse 5. The chorus of the song, not always so clear for us in the Hebrew poetry as it is here written for us three times with one variation in these two Psalms. The chorus, why are you cast down? I will hope in God. And so the decision of the psalmist, regardless of what is going on in my life, I will challenge my mind. I will challenge my emotions. I will change my outlook and my perspective, and I will imitate God. And then we began last week to look at how to keep this commitment, because that's what the rest of this song is about. How am I going to stay committed to hoping in God? How am I going to stay committed to not allowing my emotions to cast me down, which is what the Hebrew says, that the, that the psalmist was casting himself down in despair and in despair in discouragement? How do I keep myself from getting overwhelmed and throwing myself down and throwing the towel in and saying, I can't go on? How do I keep the commitment to stay focused on God? Last week, we looked at the first two keys in the verses we've already remembered. Verse four, remember what God has done for you. Remember what God has already done. He goes back and he remembers the holy day. He remembers the time, the good times. And he sees those mountaintop experiences of the past, not as anchors to a better day, but as signposts to the hope that lies ahead for all who trust in Christ. The book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon says, do not say, do not say, why were the old days better? It's not wise, not wise to ask that question, not wise to make that accusation, because if you know Christ, everything that is waiting for you in eternity makes your best day on earth 
look like a shadow. C.S. Lewis would write that we think of death as the shadow lands, but this is the shadow lands. This is the land of the dying. It's heaven for those who know Christ that is the land of the living. That's the land of hope. That's the land of the promise for the believer. And so we have to remember what God has done for us. And we do that, uh, number two, verses six through eight, as we remember the Lord's faithfulness in our songs and prayer. Look at verses six, seven, and eight again. Oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore will I remember thee from the land of Jordan. And we talked about how he was looking back at, at how God dried up the Jordan so that Joshua could lead the people into the promised land. And then he goes back to the land of the Hermonites, which is where the giant king Og was defeated by the nation and the Amorites. And he saw God's, he was reminding himself of God's miraculous power and the miraculous victory of the people against the Hermonites. And then he goes on to talk also about the hill Mizar, which scholars believe is after Moses received the law of God on Mount Sinai when he came back down because the people were terrified of Sinai, that they went a little bit of a distance to this hill where, where he could get up on uh, Mount uh, Mizar or on the hill Mizar. And it's like around here, we, uh, my son uh, a year or two ago said, look at the mountains. I was like, these are not mountains, okay? These are just hills, the rolling hills of Western Maryland right here. These are not mountains uh, right around where we live. Uh, in, the, in the sense that we think of the mountains of uh, the out west or the great mountain chains. Um, and so this is, this is a, a, an elevated place, a, a hill, or one of the rolling hills, but where then Moses took the law God had given him and he proclaims it to the people. And the writer, the psalmist here is saying, I'm looking back, I'm looking back at what God has done. I'm remembering God's faithfulness. I'm remembering how God has spoken. And he declares him to be the God of his life, not just the God of his Sundays, not just the God of his good days, but the God of his every days, the God of his life. And we trust in God, not just when the sun is shining, not just when the birds are singing, not just when the, the beauty of nature is overwhelming us, but we do it in the darkness of our suffering. God is our Life, the God of my life. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 25, whoever will save his life shall lose it, but whoever will lose his life for my sake, he shall find it. We give our life and trust it to the King of Kings, no longer a baby in a manger. We entrust it to the resurrected Savior who has conquered death in the grave, and we entrust it so that we know that we will live beyond death and the grave. I'm not too fond of thinking about death or how, if the Lord tarries, my death would occur. I hope that I go like my grandfather went, sitting at breakfast in his 90s. And he's eating breakfast. And he looked up like he saw an angel. He went, and he was gone. Just like that. No suffering, no pain, just straight to the arms of Jesus. Lord, that's how I'd like to go if you tarry another 43 years. I doubt that he's going to tarry that long. And nor do I have any guarantee of even tomorrow. I don't like to think about death, 
But I can tell you, sincerely, I'm not afraid of death. I don't want to leave my wife. I don't want to leave my son. I don't want to leave you. But I'm not afraid of death because I know who holds my life. And I know where it is. I know where it is. I know the gift that I've received from God. His grace in the death and resurrection of Jesus didn't work for it. I'm not saved because I'm a preacher or a preacher's kid where I was born into a Christian family. I'm not saved by any of those things, and neither are you. We're all saved the same way, by trusting in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Savior, for the forgiveness of our sins, and turning from our sin and turning to him, calling upon him. And if you will do that today, you will be saved. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to wait till you get baptized. That's something you do after you get saved to show the world what you've done, that you have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, you live. Yet not you, but Christ liveth in you. So remember the Lord's faithfulness. Now this morning, here's the start to the message. That was all prelude. But you'll notice that this, there's a few less verses that we have to cover than we did last week. This morning, we're going to focus on justice and praise at the throne of grace. Finding God's justice and bringing God's praise to the throne of grace. Hebrews 4.16 again, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We're going to see the psalmist illustrate this verse in real life for us here in Psalm 42 and 43. And so justice from God, praise for God, together at the throne of grace. Look with me at Psalm 42, verse 8. Well, let's back up to verse 7 again. Deep calleth unto deep at the noise of thy water spouts. As I said last week, the psalmist is, is talking about a tumultuous sea. The Sea of Galilee got hit with some pretty serious storms, and it could be treacherous. That's why when uh, read in the morning, sailors take warning. It's when Jesus told the disciples to get on the boat one time, and they're like, well, we're fishermen. We, we don't want to get on that boat. We can see what, what's coming. Jesus said, get on the boat, and Jesus got them through the storm. In fact, Jesus said, peace be still to the storm. But what is being demonstrated here is these crashing waves. If you've ever seen, maybe you, some of you have been on some rough waters. Maybe you, some of you in the Navy have been on some rough waters. You've seen those massive crashing waves crash against one another. And the psalmist is saying the deep is calling after the deep. It's like one wave is, is calling to the other wave and saying, hey, let's get them together. Let's hit them at the same time. And he's saying, I'm being overwhelmed. I'm being Flooded all thy waves and thy billows are gone over me. God, why are you allowing me to go through what I'm going through? It's so devastating. And isn't it true that when something terrible happens, when, when we've been knocked down, that the devil takes that opportunity to hit us and kick us while we're down? That rarely is it just one thing that happens. But life comes out because we have an enemy, because we, Adam and Eve, we have invited the enemy into our world. He is now the God. He's the prince of this world, the God of this age. So we have to deal with our own flesh. We have to deal with our own sin nature. We have to deal with a sinful world that is cursed. We have to deal with sinful people who are sinning. And then we have an enemy. And so we, we often feel 
completely overwhelmed by the attacks brought against us yet, verse 8. Even while I feel like I'm sinking, he says, the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime and in the night. Now notice this, his song shall be with me and my prayer unto the God of my life. Now, don't miss this. God is singing down and he is praying up. Do you know that God sings over you? Do you know that God sings songs of deliverance for you? It's found in Psalm 32, verse 7. Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. You know how the psalmist is breathing underwater? Because Jesus is right there with him, breathing air into his lungs and singing with him. God sings over us. That shouldn't surprise us. I mean, he did create music. I mean, I love music. I, I love music. My CD collection would testify to how much I love music. My wife wishes I didn't love it quite so much because I've got so much music around the house. Don't have time to listen to, a, to uh, all of it at the same time. I wish I could. There were times when I thought, man, I love music. So much. I wish I could listen to this song and this song at the same time and uh, just enjoy both of them. That's not how it works, by the way. Not usually. Maybe if you're playing Nickelback because all those songs are pretty much the same song. And if you all remember that band, Chuck remembers. I don't know if they're still around or not, but okay, uh, thanks, there you go. I had a friend that posted something on Facebook years ago, and it was playing like four of their songs. It started with one song, then it started playing another song, then it started playing another, and they're, and they're all playing together, I'm like, oh, those are actually like the same chord progressions, <laughs> it's like the same song. <laughs> but God is singing over us, Zephaniah chapter 317, I remember at the uh, funeral service of a dear friend of my grandfather and grandmother's at his funeral service. My dad did the, did the ceremony, and uh, this was his favorite verse. This was Bill's favorite verse, his life verse. Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is among you. He is mighty to save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. What an awesome picture if you've ever held a baby and tried to get that baby to sleep by humming to it, singing to it. And I can remember singing Jesus Loves Me to Elijah. I can remember singing Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star and trying to get him to sleep. But God is saying, that's what I'm doing with your heart. I'm singing over you. I'm if you will trust if you'll just let go in my arms and if you'll just give it to me. And I will quiet you with my love and I will rejoice over you with singing. And the psalmist says, by faith, I can hear God's song of deliverance over me, even under the water even over the sounds of the crashing waves, by faith, I can hear God's song of deliverance. 
Now, I'm not just going to leave it there this morning and say, amen, let's all go home. Because that's not where the psalmist ends it. The, the, the reality is, while we find comfort in that, and we, we must, you've got to find comfort in that, that doesn't resolve the problem. I I'm still, I'm still feel like I'm sinking. I'm, I'm still overwhelmed. I still have people around me that are attacking me, accusing me, saying false things about me. And so I have some questions. And the fourth thing that the psalmist does to keep this commitment is he brings his questions to God. Friend, you have to bring your questions to God. When you question God, he is big enough for your questions. When you get mad at God, he's big enough. Just like when my little kid gets mad at me, which sometimes it seems like it's every night. It's not really every night, but at bedtime, he does not want to go to bed. Seems like sometimes it's every night. I'm big enough. I love him enough. I'm big enough for the anger. I'm big enough. God is big enough for your anger, and he's big enough for your questions. But what he wants is you to bring that anger and those questions to him so he can help you with getting those answers. But when we allow the pain of our life to turn us away from God and we try to satisfy those needs with everything but God, we create more division between us and God of our own choosing. And we bring not only the distance from our help, but now we got to deal with all the consequences of the choices that I'm making to try to feel better that's actually hurting me more. And now not only do I have the problem of what I'm, I'm dealing with being attacked, now i got all the problem of the consequences of all these things I'm trying to, to do to medicate, whether it's overspending or overeating or whether it's some substance that I'm using to try to feel better, to numb the pain. Whatever it is, I'm not making it better. God says, bring your pain and your questions to me. And so after repeating the chorus again, he goes into chapter 43 into verse 3, which is for us Psalm 43. And he says, uh, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I jumped ahead. Sometimes I get excited, I jump ahead. Verse 9 of chapter 42, Psalm 42. I will say unto God, my rock, why hast thou forgotten me? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a sword in my bones, mine enemies reproach me. While they say daily unto me, where is your God? Where is your God? Where is your God? I can remember that old Bugs Bunny cartoon when I was a little kid. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. And I can remember saying that. And then I, probably my dad said, you know, that's not true. Maybe it was mom. You know, that's not true. Names do hurt us. I can remember. I can remember. Uh. Sometimes, the, I, well, I certainly can remember the pain of a word more than the pain of an act of violence. I remember one time I was at school, some older kid, for some reason, they just picked up a stick and they smacked me on the side of the leg for no reason. I was just standing there in line, getting ready to go back in the building. And some kid just took a whack me and I had a welt down my leg. I remember the event, but I don't even remember the kid. I don't remember, I don't feel the pain. It, still, it doesn't hurt. I got other pains, but not that pain. But I can remember who and what was said to me that was said in anger or said in meanness or said in cruelty. I remember that. And he says, God, why? Where are you? Where are, do you know Jesus on the cross? 
My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus on the cross. Psalm 20, quote Psalm 22, verse 1. God, where are you? Because for the first time, the father had turned his face away from his son. For the first time in eternity, God had done that. And he did that for you and for me. And so we have to bring those questions of God. Listen, questions in and of themselves are not a sign of a lack of faith, but they can actually be a sign that you are expressing your faith because you are taking them to the only one who can really answer them when you take them to the Lord. But I have to warn you, you've got to beware the answer. Sometimes the answer isn't what we want to hear. I've asked God some questions. I can remember. I can remember a time. I want to say it was two thousand and summer of two thousand and seven, where I just I let God have it. I was I was at home. I was alone, and I was very alone. I mean, living by myself, living away from family, and I was just upset about some. I won't go into the details of that. But I can just remember unloading. You haven't been there for me. And I, I did not hear an audible voice, but the Holy Spirit did speak to me. And he began to show me why I was going through what I was going through and the choices that I had made that I didn't want to deal with. And boy, that was a, I, I can, that was a turning point for me that, that, that day, in, alone in my apartment, taking my questions to God, and then God saying, you want some answers? Because I'm going to give them to you. I think of the story of Job, Job, who was so persecuted and so grieving and so enduring pain. And in, as you read through the, the history of Job and what was happening in the, the book of Job is a fascinating book. We'll study it together, uh, maybe on Wednesday nights or maybe on Sunday morning Bible study. I'm not sure yet, but we'll go through the book of Job together. It's an amazing book. But Job says, I got some questions for God. I can't wait to bring my questions to God. And then at the end of the book, God shows up in a whirlwind. You see the pictures of the tornado that went through Tennessee, the destructive power? You imagine a whirlwind coming for you, and God shows up to speak to Job in the whirlwind, and God says, uh, here I am. You got some questions for me? I hear you got some questions for me. Job says, I'm good. God says, I got some questions for you now. Answer me like a man. Job says, I'm good, God. You, you do the talking. I'll just, I'll listen, I'll listen. But see, Job was angry with God, but he didn't depart from God. And so he ends the book with being blessed by God and being affirmed by God and being used as an example for history's sake. Because see, in Job 13, 45, Job said, even if he slay me, I will trust him. Though he slay me, I will trust him. And so Job, Job in the suffering, Jesus on the cross, it is not a sin to take your questions to God, but you got to spend some time and wait for the answer. You got to be listening. Sometimes we think prayer is read the list and go on your merry way. But we need to spend time, medit this is a meditation, meditating on what God's word is saying to us and then listening for the Holy Spirit to 
point some things out to us that maybe we don't want to hear, but we need to. And so we bring our questions to God. Number five, now we jump uh, into verse 10 here. As with a sword in my bones, mine enemies reproach me while they say daily unto me, where is thy God? Friend, you need to bring your enemies to God. Bring your enemies to God. Before you get on Facebook and tell everybody else what so-and-so said about you or did to you. Take it to God. I'm not saying there's never a time and place for that. Sometimes people need to know what other people are about, but more often than not, we do that, we're just trying to get back. We're just trying to hurt as we have been hurt. We bring our enemies to God. Romans chapter 12, uh, Paul unpacks this truth for us, uh, and this is a passage of scripture that, that we visit with some frequency because it is so powerful, but in Revelation chapter 12, Paul tells us, verse 9, let love be without hypocrisy or dissimulation in the King James, without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cleave to that which is good, be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another. He goes about how we should be treating one another, how we should be rejoicing in hope, and but then he deals with the reality that some of the people are probably asking, but what about him? What about her? And he says, Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Verse 17, recompense no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves. Now, Paul is not saying that and telling us to enable evil. He's not telling us to celebrate the wickedness of others, to enable their sin, their abuse. He goes on to say, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy is hungry, feed him. If he thirsts, give him drink. Don't, don't just allow them to continue to sin against you. Don't allow them to continue to be abusive towards others. But don't withhold from them their basic needs either. Don't treat them like they're inhuman either. Let God deal with their punishment. And you worry about heaping coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. So bring your enemies to God. We pray for them. We don't empower them to continue to hurt others or hurt us even. God is not calling you to be a pincushion for everybody's attacks, but he is saying, let God be the avenger. Let God deal with the consequences that's coming their way. Let God deal with them, and he will, because he is a God of vengeance. Now notice, in, before we jump into chapter 43, which will just be in for just a few minutes, I want you to note the subtle change to the chorus that we read in verse 5. First, back in verse 5, he says, Why art thou disquieted? Hope thou in God. I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. In other words, he says, I want to see God's face. God, I want to see your face. I want to know I have your attention. I want to know you care about me. But notice in verse 11, the chorus changes a little bit. And he says, For I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. He says, when I see God's face, it changes my face. And while my face is focused on his face, I begin to want to reflect his face. 
and my face begins to change from being twisted and downcast. It takes more muscles to frown. And when my focus is on him, my, my countenance, my face changes because my outlook has changed, because my vision has changed. And so bring your enemies to God and allow God to change your face. Let me give you these last few just very quickly. Psalm 43, verse 1, Judge me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. O deliver me from the deceitful and the unjust man. See, he's not just bringing his enemies to God. He is pleading for the justice of God. Are we pleading for that in our prayers? God, bring these people to justice. You should be. You see what's going on in our government today? You see the wickedness that is being celebrated and protected? The corruption that is being covered up? I mean, if you really want to find out who was on Jeffrey Epstein's flight logs, you can find that information online. It's been leaked, but they do all they can to suppress it. The celebrities who were buddy-buddy, the politicians, the world leaders, royal family, presidents, former, that we know of. Wickedness. What do we do about it? Well, we're not going to go storm the Capitol. We're going to storm the throne. And we're going to ask God for justice. And if you're not asking God for justice, don't expect it. But if you are asking God for justice, then we need to, to ask and to seek that God will deal with those that we cannot deal with because they are too powerful. They're beyond our reach. But they are not beyond the power of our prayers. We plead the justice of God for the innocent. We plead the justice of God for the oppressed. We plead the justice of God against the powerful who are oppressing. And then verses 1 and 2, we trust the deliverance of God. For thou art the God of my strength. Why dost thou cast me off? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? God, you're my strength. I need you. I need you to do the delivering. I need you to be my strength. Trust in him. That's why he's calling out to God. That's why he's already saying in two choruses, I'm going to God's face and then I am changing my face because I've seen his face and I know he loves me and I know he's in control and I know his loving kindness will be with me in the daytime in his song will be with me in the night. Trust God to deliver you. But then what? Verse 3. Oh, send out thy light and thy truth. Let them lead me. Let, me. let them bring me unto thy holy hill and to thy tabernacles. You have to, to pursue the light and the truth of God. In a world of darkness, in a world of lies, in a world of deception, you have to seek the truth and pursue the light of God. Light is a symbol in Scripture oftentimes for truth. 
Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, David would write, and a light unto my path. He is our light. He has provided us the light of his word. We got to be in his word and seeking the truth and seeking light. If you are not in the word of God, you are not walking in the light of God. You are wandering in the dark. And you're going to run into all kinds of problems. And all kinds of enemies. Some of the times I found myself in situations where I was oppressed is because my own dumb choices. And that doesn't justify what was being done against me, but it does explain how I got there. Wasn't walking in the light. Wasn't walking according to God's truth. Wandering in the dark. Pursue the light and the truth of God. Get into his word. See, it's not just about God setting other people straight. I need God to set me straight. And if I am straight, I need God to keep me straight, to keep me on that straight and narrow path, to walk through the minefield that is this life without doing great damage to my heart and to my soul. Pursue the light and the truth of God. But more than that, we're not just seeking truth for truth's sake. Notice he is seeking the presence of God as well. Send out thy light, thy truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me unto thy holy hill, to thy tabernacles. Then will I go unto the altar of God. I want to be with you. I want to come to the throne of grace. Now, this is where we get back to verse 1 of chapter 42. As the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longeth after thee. And the initial drive to the throne of God was his pain. But now that he's come to the throne of God, he wants to stay there. Now that he is, the pain is what has motivated him to seek God and to pursue God. But now that he is pursuing God and God is showing him, hey, I love you. I'm singing over you. I'm going to deliver you. He's like, I don't want to leave this. I want to stay aware of your presence. And we need to live aware of God's presence with us, Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He is, if you know him, he is with you. He is with you wherever you go. And what we need is more awareness. It's so funny how the Lord sometimes gives us little signs that he's speaking or signs that he's listening. And I was just thinking, I was, in the, I was on my way to Walmart and I was just thinking uh, about jokingly telling somebody, you know, hey, Jesus is watching you. Jesus is watching you. And I get out of the get out of the car and I'm walking back towards the shampoo or the soap or something. And I heard somebody in the aisle go, hey, you know, Jesus is watching you. And I was like, I got it. I got it. Got a little laugh out of it. Little smile from Jesus. He is watching us. He's with us. We just need to remind ourselves of that. Seeking the presence of God. Paul Wilbur uh, in a devotional on the book of Psalms, said the psalmist is no ordinary man. He asks for the very help he needs to get back to a place of worship, focusing on the solution to his woes rather than having a pity party. Man, how much time have I wasted with pity parties when I should have been pursuing the place of worship in the presence of God? And then we'll close with this, number 10. 
He says in verse 4, Then will I go unto the altar of God, unto God my exceeding joy. Yea, upon the harp will I praise thee, O God, my God. Why art thou cast down on my soul? Why art thou disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. Friend, we need to bring the sacrifice of praise to God and choose to joy in him. Spoke on it just a few Sunday nights ago. First Thessalonians chapter five. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. I can always rejoice in the Lord. My hope, my strength. And Hebrews 13 verses 15 through 16 tell us that when we come today, we are bringing sacrifices of praise. It's why we gather publicly. We don't just gather publicly for ourselves. It's why we sing so much. We don't just sing because we like the music. You may not like the music. I don't always like the music. And I pick the music. But I'm not singing to myself. And I'm singing to him. And so we sing. We bring a, a sacrifice of praise. We sing to him to bring him public praise. I know you can do it. I know you can praise him at home. I know you can praise him in the car. I know you can praise him wherever you are, but we do this publicly for his glory, for his praise, and we choose to joy in him. Warren Wiersbe, in his devotional, Prayer, Praise, and Promises, A Daily Walk Through the Psalms, wrote this. I've discovered that when I get discouraged, the best thing to do is praise the Lord immediately. Praise is the greatest medicine for a broken heart. Whatever is breaking your heart today, praise him. He can bring healing to your soul. Will you bring it to him? Let's stand as we pray together. Father, thank you for the honesty of your word, the honesty of the realities of life, but God, your faithfulness to stand with us in the fire, in the lion's den, your faithfulness, God, to work in our situations, your faithfulness, God, when we entrust our enemies to you and to your throne, God, your faithfulness to deliver and to vindicate. Father, may we find that hope this season in you. And Father, if there is somebody here today who does not know you, they don't have that hope yet. God, again, we pray that this would be the day when they would find the hope of eternal life and forgiveness and freedom from sin, forgiveness of sin, by your grace, received through faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. If you have a need, the altar is open. Our deacons are here to pray with you. Our deacons' wives are available to pray with you. Whatever your need, the altar is open. Would you sing with me as we close?
Thank you for the cross of Jesus Christ where you have displayed not only your justice, but your grace and your mercy. Your justice in paying the sin debt of all mankind. And your mercy and grace in paying it for us. And Father, what a tragedy that so many reject the free gift of salvation, of grace and forgiveness. God, you have shown us your love. You've shown us your justice. You've shown us your mercy. And so, Father, as we as Christians so often struggle with the injustice of this world, God, may our hope be in you. Our prayers be directed to you. Our praises be directed to you in the dark times, in the seasons of suffering and grief. And may we find, God, because of your great loving kindness, because of your songs over us, the deliverance and the hope that we seek. We love you, Father. We praise you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here this morning. We invite you back tonight at 630. We'll be in the Psalms again. God bless you. You are dismissed. That's all for today. I hope this has made a positive impact in your relationship with Jesus. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior and you'd like to know how, give one of our pastors a call at 301-724-5876. We would love nothing more than to share the good news with you. If you've never joined us in person, we have services multiple times throughout the week that we would love to see you at. They are Sunday morning Bible study at 9.15 a.m., Sunday morning service at 10.30 a.m., Sunday evening service at 6.30 p.m., and Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. We also have opportunities for our students to gather. The youth group for grades 6 through 12 meets at 6 o'clock p.m. on Sundays, and our WANA program for 6th grade and under meets at 6.15 p.m. on Wednesdays. Again, we thank you for joining us today, and we hope to see you soon. But until next time, stay faithful.